Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote to a church in a, in a, in a, a place called Galatia. And um, we're doing the fruits of the Spirit, because that's what we're majoring on, that's what we're focusing on. We've looked at love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness last week. Kevin Peake came to speak to us last week. And if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, uh, in a couple of weeks, that, that sermon will be online again when Phil's back from holiday and has a chance to put it up. Uh, it's well worth listening to. Uh, it really it certainly touched my heart last week, so it's definitely worth checking out on the website. So, um, what's the context of this letter then? Uh, why did Paul write it? Well, apparently, um, we're doing research and, and reading up on these things. Uh, Paul had originally brought the gospel to this area, and his main focus was, you are no longer under the law. You now should live by the Spirit. That was his main focus. Don't be, don't be burdened by law. Live in the freedom of the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit. And it appears that these, these early Christians were doing that, were starting to do that, were starting to understand what that meant. But then other people came and were added to their community. Other people, presumably other Jews, came and sort of infiltrated the community. But they were trying to get them to turn back to a more strict observance of the Jewish law. So they were trying to, to the blokes to say, well, you need to get circumcised. If, if you're not circumcised, you need to get it done. Um, you need to keep the food laws. You need to keep ceremonial days and cleansing and washing and all these different things that were, were some of them were, were, were in the Old Testament and some were actually just traditions that were made up by, by men, by Jewish men, because they thought they were being more honourable to God by doing them. And so Paul was actually saying, you don't, you're not bound by those anymore, but some of the people were coming into this community saying, no, 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 no don't forget what Paul said. We need to really honour God by doing all these things and becoming more Jewish. Okay? And so that's the context. So Paul writes this letter to address that. And he's saying to them, you're not led, you're not led by the law anymore, you're led by the Spirit. Okay, so let's read the whole the, the passage in context. So Galatians chapter 5, if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn to it. I'm going to read from verse 16. 26. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So as I've said, Paul's emphasis of, of, of his preaching is that we're to be led not by our own selfishness, but by the Spirit of God. We have a freedom. Actually, as becoming a Christian is not becoming a slave to rules again. It's actually a freedom. And as Pete... Uh, Kevin Pete said last week, he said, we have a freedom, but do we, we can do whatever we want to do with that freedom. We can choose to live for God, or we can choose to live for our own selfish desires. So we have a freedom. We're not, if we live by the Spirit, we don't just live for our selfish desires, we live for God. And that's what Paul's asking them to do. And, you know, when we become a Christian, we're members of a new kingdom, 
we're no longer masters of our own destiny because we're saying, Jesus, as we've said, we sung this morning, Jesus, I belong to you now. I'm no longer master of my own destiny. You, I commit my hands into, your, into you and I give my life to you to be ruled and to be led by you. I love this tattoo this woman's got. It looks like it's still in the saw phase just after, after you've got it, after the clingy's been off. I don't know how you get clingy all wrapped all the way around your chest like that. I bet that looked a bit weird for a few weeks. But anyway, I love it. The, the fact, this, is, this is a very bold statement, isn't it? A tattoo is a bold statement anyway because it's very hard to go back on it. You either get it covered up or you have, very, you know, you have creams and all sorts. It's very difficult to get rid of it. And this, this woman, like, like this woman, that she's made a, a statement that she's going to live by the Spirit. She's now to walk in the Spirit, not walking in her own way. And likewise, when we become Christians, we make a statement, don't we, to those around us. And um, basically, Paul uses this metaphor of keeping in step with the Spirit. And I, I, when I think of this, I always imagine kind of God, either arm in arm with God, hand in hand, or just side by side, walking in step with the Spirit. A little bit like, I was watching a, a film the other day that's been around for years, but I've never actually watched it, and it's called A Few Good Men. Has anybody seen that? And the bit at the start is all these, these pl- this platoon of Marines with, with all their, their uniforms on doing this drill, and they're absolutely in sync. It's unbelievable how tight they are in sync in all the things they're doing. They're getting the guns on the shoulder, they're bringing them down, they're moving, they're marching, they're walking in step with one another. If one person walks out, you see it, you notice it. And I like to think of this metaphor that Paul is using, that Paul's saying, just don't try and walk ahead with the Holy Spirit. Don't try and run ahead. Don't, try, don't fall behind. Just walk in step with the Spirit. Okay, so, so that's what Paul's saying. John, that's his metaphor. But Jesus had another metaphor for keeping in step with the Spirit. And we probably all know it. And it comes from John's Gospel. Now, John's Gospel, in John's Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus says this. I am the vine... And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit apart from me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're like a branch. Sorry, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, when we become Christians, so Jesus is using the metaphor of a tree, or a vine, isn't he? Paul uses the metaphor of walking in step with the Spirit. Essentially, it's the same thing. We're not only created so we can enjoy a relationship with God and feel good about ourselves and, and, and be right in our lives and right in our minds. We're actually created so that we produce fruit, aren't we? Just like a fruit tree. If you think of a fruit tree, why is it, why is it planted? It can produce shade. So if you're in a hot country, you've got a, you've got a, a tree that can produce some shade for you. It can also be look, just look nice in your garden, can't it? Nice trees, you look around. This morning, funny enough, it's really funny that Mary mentioned uh, Red Psalm 8 because I was praying that this morning. I walked out walking the dog this morning. And you know those days when you just don't know what to say to God? And I, and I went to speak, and, and I thought, no, I'm not going to say anything, because I, I don't just want to babble nonsense. And then I went to speak again, and again it was just like, it was almost like, no, don't speak. And, and I was thinking of the words in, um, I'm not sure where it is, but let your words be few. 
And then a little bit later down, I was looking at the creation, and, I, and then I just started speaking that psalm out. Oh, God, why is it, how, what is man that you're mindful of him? And it was just, anyway, just, it encouraged me this morning that that was, out of all the Bible that I could have been uh, praying this morning, that was, that was the one that you chose. Um, but what, what Jesus is saying, it should be obvious that we produce fruit. The tree's not there just for shade or for beauty. It's there to produce some fruit. It's there to provide goodness to those who eat of the fruit. And that's the same of us. We're here not only to enjoy a life and relationship with God and have a new identity and be comfortable in that, but to produce fruit. Now, as Jesus said, as Paul said, we can't produce fruit unless we walk in step with the Spirit. If you don't walk in step with the Spirit, it produces all this other fruit, this bad stuff. Jesus is saying, if you don't remain in me, you can't produce any good fruit either. A branch, if, it's, if, it's, if it falls off the tree or it cuts off, it cannot, doesn't matter how hard it tries, it cannot produce fruit, can it? It has to remain attached to the vine. So, my question then, I suppose, is, um, are you still growing in godly character? Have you, how, are you still allowing God to, to cultivate you? Are you still remaining in Jesus? Are you walking in step with the Spirit? It's easy for us as Christians to, no matter how long we've been a Christian, to think, well, I've kind of got that bit sorted now. Um, don't think I really need to ask God to help me with that bit. Uh, I've sorted that bit. Maybe, maybe it was, for me, it was, I was always very, some people say I might still am be, but uh, I was very sarcastic for a long time. And I used to work in a bank and I used to be, I used to jump straight away. I wanted to be funny. I wanted people to think I was funny. And so if somebody said something, I'd jump straight on it and say something funny. And I didn't care really whether it offended them or not. Even if I said sorry, the damage was done. And for years I said to God, God, I just, I don't want to have this, I think it's an insecurity because I wanted, I want people to like me and think I'm funny. God help me not to do that because I can damage people doing it and it took absolute years. Now, I'm still working on that and God's still working with me. I wouldn't like to say I've got it sorted all completely, but there's certain things and for each person in here, there'll be things that you need to ask God to help you, to prune you, to cultivate you. And, um, and my question is, have you grown stagnant in that, in your character growth? Is there something you need to ask God about to help you to prune in your life? But, as Jesus said, fruit's not produced by the branch trying harder. We need to remain in him and continue to walk with the help of the Holy Spirit. But how do we do it? Three things that I imagine you all know already, but I'm going to re re repeat them uh, in case we've forgotten. One of them is submitting to God, isn't it? You cannot, you cannot uh, be connected to Jesus, be call yourself a disciple, but then decide to live on your own and live for your own selfish desires. You have to submit to his headship, don't you? You have to submit to his authority, to his lordship over your life. Now, for me, that is not a one, I don't think that's a one-off thing you do in your life. For me, it was when I was 17, I became a Christian, and I remember having a little Why Jesus booklet, Nicky Gumbel, praying the prayer at the end, saying, sorry, thank you, please all those stuff, I remember it well. But that's just the start. Every single day, we need to submit to God, don't we? Every day. Sometimes, we need to do it more than once a day. Because we can start a day saying, God, I submit to you, and then carry on the rest of the day like God doesn't even exist. And there's times when you think, actually, God, need, God I need to remember to submit to you more than once a day. So, we're no longer living for our own selfish desires. We're living submitted to God. A second thing, how do we remain uh, in the vine? The scriptures. Everybody says, read the Bible, pray, you know, which is right though. The scriptures need to be at the center of our thinking in every area of our lives. 
um, they were inspired, weren't they, by the Holy Spirit. They were written by men and women, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So if we want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, we've got to listen to what the Holy Spirit says. The primary way that he's spoken to us, other than Jesus, is his word, isn't it? Is his scriptures, so we need to read them. But recently, um, I've been reading a book that Annie gave me, which is great, thank you, Annie, um, called Eat This Book by Eugene Peterson. And there's a really nice, really good quote in it that really challenged me. And he says this, said, Reading the Bible, if we do not do it rightly, can get us into a lot of trouble. The Christian community is concerned, is as concerned with how we read the Bible as that we read it. It's not sufficient to put a Bible in someone's hands with the command, read it. That's quite as foolish as putting a set of car keys in an adolescent's hands, giving him a Honda and saying, drive it, and, such as, and just as dangerous. And then he goes on throughout the book to talk about um, different ways over the centuries Christians have, have approached the Bible and tried to get it to be the, the, the center of their thinking, praying it, meditating it, praying it back to God. You, read a, you can read a scripture and you can pray it back to God and it becomes part of your prayer life. Studying it, using commentaries and guides to help you understand difficult passages and context of stuff. Meeting one another. One of the reasons we meet together is that we can sharpen one another, isn't it, as Christians? We can, we can think we know everything about, about God and the Bible when we're on our own. And then as soon as you meet somebody with a slightly different perspective, it's a challenge to you. That's why I'd encourage you, if you're not part of any of the groups, the smaller groups in church, whether it be the book group or the women's or the men's or the home groups, get into one. Because this is only, you know, an hour or two in the week. But we need to wrestle with the scriptures together. We need to challenge one another. And, and only when we do that will we grow. So it's not just enough just to read it. But it, finally, probably more importantly, as James would say in his letter, put it into practice. There's no point reading, understanding, wrestling with the scriptures, understanding them all, praying them back to God, but then not actually going and putting them into practice. So how do we remain in Jesus? We submit to him every day. The scriptures, we need to wrestle with them. They need to be the center of our thinking and our doing. We also need to make time to listen to the whispers of God. I love this line in John chapter 5. He records... Um, he says this about Jesus. Jesus did nothing on his own. Jesus did nothing on his own. He only did what he saw the Father doing. Now, that's a much quoted line, but what does that mean? Did he have some kind of special sight, super, supernatural sight that he could see the Father? Oh, there's the Father. What is he doing? Oh, I'll go and follow what the Father's doing. No, he was just a man. Jesus didn't have some supernatural sight. What, how did he see, inverted commas, what the Father was doing and do it in prayer? He says that he retired to lonely places every day. He went up to mountains when it was still dark and he listened and tuned in to God. He prayed to God. He probably read scriptures or memorized scriptures. He, he listened to God and said, tried to get his heart right with God. And we need to do the same, don't we? We need to listen to what the Father might be doing. We need to spend time in prayer, being open to what he might, might do in our hearts. It becomes a little bit like a sixth sense. The more you practice it, I'm not very good at it, but the more you practice, people call it practicing the presence of God, I think some, some monk d described it as, practicing the presence of God. And it's basically, you know, getting back in prayer, listening to God, doing it regularly, making it become a, a discipline, a habit, a godly habit. So one of the fruits, anyway, of a life lived, submitted to God, is goodness. That's what I'm meant to be talking about. Uh, every ripened fruit contains goodness, doesn't it? And we are told by doctors and uh, nutritionists that we should have Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten portions of fruit fiber a day. I don't know about you, but I don't get close to that um, because it's good for us, isn't it? It's good for our bodies. It makes our bodies work better. 
Um, and um, where am I? I've lost, I've lost my train of thought. Yes, so it gives us nourishment, but what does it look like in our daily lives? What does goodness look like? I love this summary of Jesus' life in the book of Acts. Luke, writing the book of Acts, says this about Jesus. He says a little bit more, but essentially he summarizes Jesus' life in, this word, in these words. He went around doing good. He went around doing good. And I thought about this, I thought, Do you know what? That's a great eulogy, isn't it? I go to, I've been to funerals before where people have said, oh, he's such a good person, he'd do anything for anybody. Or she would never thought of herself. She was, she's such a good woman. I, I, she, I just, oh, she just never thought of any, herself. She always put others first. And, and I've often thought about those people and I thought, yeah, I'd look, I want people to say that about me. I want people to look back on my life and say, in my eulogy when I'm dead, and say, yeah, he was a really good person. Now, I want them to say more than that, but I want them to say he would, never, he would, put, he would put others first. He wouldn't just think of himself. He went around doing good. But there's a difference, isn't there, between doing good and being good. And I think, I may be wrong, but I think this is a little bit like what, what Paul is writing to the Galatians about. He's saying, being good is like living by the law. You can be good, you can never um, say a bad thing about anybody, you can never challenge anybody, you can never rock the boat, you can get, not get into trouble, you cannot upset anyone. That is being good, isn't it? If you, and we say it to kids, don't we? Just be good. Just be good. I've got four kids at the moment, and you know, there's times they're challenging uh, at the moment. They might have more in the future. I don't know. <laughs> See how it goes. Um, anybody fancy giving us a few kids? We'll have them. Um, being, be, just be good. And then we'll, you know, you do as you're told, essentially, and then you know, you, things will go well for you. Be good. But that's essentially a little bit like living by the law, isn't it? Follow the rules. Don't upset anyone. Follow the commandments. And whilst we wouldn't say we're going to get rid of all that, not at all, um, actually, living by the Spirit is different. It's about the Spirit living within you that produces good fruit, doing good. And it, yeah, it, it, it comes out in good works. Um, so, being good is not really primarily what the life of a disciple is about. You can be good, never break any of the laws and stuff, without not really having any effects on anybody else. There's lots of good, upright people in the world, isn't there? But they don't necessarily produce goodness in their lives to other people. They don't necessarily sacrifice their time, their efforts, their energies for other people. Not necessarily. Some people do. And you may know people like that, that, that are not Christians, who just seem to be really good people. They do good, they, do, they, they really help other people all the time. They, they'll drop what they're doing for the people. And that, that's great. <clears throat> but essentially, goodness is being good news. I know Neil said this before, goodness is being good news. If you want goodness to, to be evident in your life, where can you be good news? When you're at home, how can you be good news to people around you that you live with? When you're at work, how can you be good news in your workplace? When you're in church, how can you be good news? It may be something as simple as not complaining. That's good news, isn't it? To not hear people complaining all the time. That is good news to me. And I do it myself. I find myself starting to complain. I think, oh, that's bad news, isn't it? You, you read the news and you watch the news and you think, I'm depressed because all I'm hearing is bad news. How can we be good news? How can we do it in our community? You know, there's so many different things. This morning, actually I was thinking of examples, there's loads of examples, but this morning I was walking the dog again, another dog example. It's amazing what happens when you walk a dog. You meet people. And I saw somebody and she just looked really down and, and, I, and I've seen her before and she's talked before. I know her name. 
and she, she's looking after a grandson in a house, a new baby grandson. And I, I was asking about the grandson. I said, how is your, how's your grandson doing? He wasn't doing very well. He was up, and she was up in the night all the time with him, and I don't know what the mother was doing, but he, she was doing most of it. Um, and then she started to tell me about her other daughter, who's only 13, who's having all these problems with the stomach. She's coughing up blood, and she's, I mean, horrendous stuff. She's about three or four stone lighter than she should be for her age. She could rush into hospital. A string of things that were wrong with her. And I just thought, and I was thinking all my mind, I'm going to tell her I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to tell her I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to tell her I'm going to pray for her. And then at the end, at the end of the, we walked around, and I walked a lot further than I was going to walk because I was going to be late for church. But I just thought, I'd keep walking. Keep walking. At the end, she was saying how she's got these two dogs and she takes them out three times a day. And in the end, I just said to her, well, if you ever need somebody to help you walk the dog, just, here's my number, give us a shout. And she was so overwhelmed by that. And she may never, ever text me or whatever. And I was thinking afterwards, oh no, I've just volunteered for something else. But, but I was thinking, do you know what? It's, that's the sort of thing. It doesn't have to be a big, massive gesture. It could be something small. I didn't get to tell her that I was praying for her. But I'll pray for her anyway. But I just thought, there's, there's a demonstration of goodness there. That there was an opportunity to demonstrate good news. To that. And there's, there's countless opportunities if you look for them each day. If you submit to God and say, God, show me how it can be good news today. I'll tell you, you'll, you'll at least get one. You're going to. And I imagine you get more than one. Um, I love this quote. We read a, a while ago in our book group, um, a book by Timothy Keller <clears throat> called Every Good Endeavour. And essentially, he's reminding us that God made a good world. Yeah, at the moment, it's hard to think of the good stuff because there's so many bad things happening in the news. But actually, there's so much good still going on. There's still God's goodness is still all over the place. Despite all the badness, despite sin tainting it, God's goodness is everywhere. And um, he quotes a lady called Dorothy Sayers. I don't, I don't actually know who she is, but she said this. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this. The very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. A carpenter should make good tables. A barrister should make good coffee. A teacher should teach well. Yeah? A nurse should nurse well. A cleaner should clean well. That's good news. Not necessarily, you're not always going to bring people to the Lord. In fact, that, in my experience anyway, I don't know about you, but that's, those opportunities have been very, very far, few and far between. But you can do your job well. Even if you're at home, whatever you're doing, whether you're volunteering for something, whether you've just been a friend to somebody, you can do it to the best of your ability. And that's the first demand, this lady says, on, our, on, on our, our, the outworking of our, of our religion. But obviously, as everything, there's always barriers to goodness, isn't there? There's things that stop us from showing this good fruit in our lives. One of them, obviously, is not remaining in the vine, not staying close to Jesus, not doing the things that I said before. But the other one is our own self-centeredness and our selfishness. I read a commentary book that said, in every willful sin, there is a contempt of the goodness of God. And though the branches of man's disobedience are very various, all spring from the same root, the contempt of the goodness of God. We, believe, we don't often trust in it. Even as Christians, we can say we trust in God, but then we, we think, well, I'm not sure it's going to work out all right. I'll rely on myself. I better work harder. I better save more. I better do more. I'll be self-sufficient, self-reliant. Or we can, sometimes we just slip into that lifestyle. We're not, we're not trying to. We, can still, we still can genuinely want to be uh, close disciples to Jesus, but we can slip into a lifestyle of self-sufficiency. And then 
we don't produce the fruit. We wonder why we don't produce the fruit that God, God asks us to produce and, God, and we want to produce. The goodness of God, in, again, we're coming on to the, the letter of Romans in our next series. The goodness of God should lead us to thankfulness, <coughs> repentance, and deeper commitment. Thinking about God's goodness inspires me to continue to do good. Um, as later, I think Peter, Peter writes, um, don't be weary in doing good. Sometimes you can think, oh, yeah, but I've done good and nothing ever changes. Don't be weary in doing good. God is good all the time, we sang this morning. God is good all the time. We should be good all the time. We should want to do good all the time. Even when, no, you don't get any thanks for it. Even when you're tired. Even when you think like it's making absolutely no difference. Even when you might even be persecuted for it, for doing good. For standing up and doing good. Continue to do good. You know, people have criticised Christians for being hypocrites. When I first became a Christian, I used to get into debates with people and I was... I've got to say I wasn't very gracious and maybe some people would say I'm still not that gracious but when I first became a Christian I was so dogmatic to, to evangelise to my friends and family and work colleagues that I would just give it to people straight I was like well if you're not good you're not, you're not, you know, you're not Christian you're going to go to hell and it was like really like I mean not quite as bad as that uh, I'm exaggerating for comedic effect um, but it was essentially I was not very gracious with people and people say yeah but you say you're a good person I'm a good person but you still do all these things and you call yourself a Christian, you're a hypocrite. And then I came around to the, the realisation that actually, to become a Christian, you have to realise that you're not good enough. I know I'm not good enough. Do you know what? That is such a liberate... You could think, feel really self-condemned right now. I hope you don't. You're a loser. <laughs> Jesus is for losers, somebody said. Uh, Jesus is for losers because they say, we say, actually, do you know what? I've tried on my own and I don't measure up even to my own expectations, let alone other people's or God's. You know, there's mine, and there's other people's, and then there's God's somewhere there. And no matter how good I am, no matter how hard I try, I am not good enough. But you know what? That is such a liberating, a liberating truth for you today, and for me. Because I still think, oh, if I just try harder, God, I'll, I'll please you more. I'll, I'll, be better I'll be a better Christian. I'll, I'll bring more people to know you. It's not about trying harder. It's about remaining in the vine. It's about walking with the Spirit. And even when we do that, we're still going to be battling with sin and I realised that actually we're in good company even the most saintly of people still have the same problem as us Paul articulates this in his, his letter to the Roman church chapter 7 verse 9 he says it's a tongue twister of a verse so bear with me if I get it wrong he says for I do not do the good I want to do but the evil I do not want to do this I keep on doing now if I do what I do not want to do it's no longer I that do it, but it's sin that living within me that does it. Moving on. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am. Do you ever get to that? I, I, I pray that prayer sometimes. What a wretched man I am. Who will, but then, the next bit is the bit, the whole bit, not just I'm self-condemned now. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who rescues me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's, there's the opposite end. We are not good enough. But guess what? We don't have to be because Jesus has already been good enough for us. And that's not an excuse, as Paul goes on to say, to say, oh, it doesn't matter then. I'll just live however I want to live. I'll you know, do all sorts of rubbish stuff because God will always forgive me. That's not, not at all. That's not, that's not the life of a disciple. 
But it's a realization that no matter how hard we try, we'll never be good enough. We'll never measure up to the goodness of God. But that is good because we don't have to. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus has gone before us. Jesus has taken our place of punishment. So we don't have to. And for me, that's, that's such a liberating thought. And I need to be reminded of that over and over again. You know, the last few years, I've been struggling a little bit up and down with, I wouldn't say depression, depression, depression is a, a real strong word. I, I wouldn't say it was as bad as that, but I've, I've certainly doubted God and I've certainly doubted the power of the Holy Spirit because I've, I've prayed hard for things that never seem to change. It, things in my own life, things in other people's lives, and I think, is there really power in the gospel? Does the gospel really change lives? And, I, and I've, I'm not saying I'm 100% through that, but I think, well, you know, there's loads of people that are not Christians. They're not walking by the Spirit of God. They're living good lives. They're not worrying about, about the things I'm worrying about. They seem to be good people. What's the point of being a Christian? Because they're good people. And you know what? I've come to the conclusion fairly recently that, that no matter how good other people are, you could be Mother Teresa, Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela, whoever you are, Gandhi, you'll never measure up to the goodness of God anyway. All these people had their own struggles. Each one of these people struggles with their own sin. We might never know the sin that they struggle with. They know, God knows, but, but they, even the saint, most saintly of people from outward appearance struggle with sin. Even when they want to do good, evil is right there with them because it's in the selfish nature that we've inherited. But also, probably more importantly, <clears throat> I know where God's brought me. I'm comparing myself to somebody else what am I comparing myself to somebody else? I may never be, never be as good as, as you or as you or as you or somebody out there, but I know where God's brought me from. I know how God's changed me since I was 17 and I was a very self-centered person and I know how much God has changed me over the years. <clears throat> so I can look back on my life and think, whilst I'm still a work in progress massively, I know that there's fruit in my life. I know that God has cultivated me and changed me over the years and he's still doing it. So I have... I have a marker to look back on. I have good, good fruit in my life. I may never have as much fruit as somebody else. I may never be quite as humble or as, or as good or as kind or as patient as somebody else. But that doesn't matter because God works with me where I am. He doesn't compare me with you lot and you don't get compared with somebody else. It's, it's between us and God, isn't it? And again, that's what I've had to say. That's what I've come back to. Stop comparing yourself to other people. You can see the fruit that God's done in your life and you will have the same story. The question is, are we still growing? Are we still open to God cultivating fruit in us? Are we still open to God pruning those areas of our lives and our attitudes that are not quite conforming to the, the likeness of Jesus? I read this again because I'm reading Romans in preparation for the next series. One of the purposes that Paul says, we, we are, one of our purposes of being Christians is to be conformed to the likeness of the Son of God. That's what God's wanting to do. That's not a prerequisite of being, being saved. We don't... We're not saved because we're more like Jesus. We're saved because of Jesus, and we accept that. But when we become saved and we start to walk by the Spirit, we will start to become more like the Son. And that's what I pray for you, and that's what I pray for myself, that as we submit to God, as we submit to his word, as we pray and ask God to show us where he needs to prune us, that God will, will continue to change us. And I finish with, with the words of Paul. Following on from this chapter, the next chapter... From the fruit of the Spirit, in chapter 6, he says this, Don't be deceived, God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, 
from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I don't know about you, I want to I believe that, I want to do that. Final, few, final slide, a few challenges to take home. How can you be good news at home, in this place, church, at work, in other places? For each one of us, it'll be different. How can you be good news? Is it obvious to others, by the goodness of your life, that you're a Christian? Is it obvious? Now, you may have to ask somebody else that, because you can't, I can't possibly say how people perceive me from the outside, but are you getting opportunities to be able to say, yeah, because I'm a Christian, that's why I think like that? Are people looking at you thinking, that person is, 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 is not self-centered, why? Is there a motivation there? Have you become stagnant in your growth? Are you weary from doing good? Do you need to be reconnected with the vine, recalibrated your steps? with the Holy Spirit. For each of us this morning, it might be something different. But I pray for you that, that you'll continue to calibrate your steps, to walk in step with the Spirit of God. That you remain in the vine. It's not about earning your salvation, it's about remaining true to Jesus so that He can produce good fruit in your life. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you this morning that we still live in a good world. We still live in a world that is full of the goodness of you. And Lord, it's tainted by sin and everywhere you look, there's bad news. And we can still see the glimmers of good news and goodness in your world. Lord, we thank you that none of us in here and none of us out there will measure up to the goodness of of you. We know that we can never, ever be good enough to earn salvation. But we thank you, Lord, that you have paid that price for us because you were good enough, Lord Jesus. You took our place. You stood in the place of judgment so that we could be free from judgment. But Lord, we don't want to end there. We don't want to just enjoy that. We want to be, be people that produce fruit so that the world will know that you have sent us, that we are your disciples. So Holy Spirit, we ask again today, we recommit ourselves to you. And we ask, Lord, for you to fill us again. Lord, we ask that you would show us the areas of our attitudes that need to change. We ask you to show us bad habits that we've got into and to show us how to change, Father. Help us to remain in you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we know it's for your glory. We know it's for the sake of the lost that you produce fruit in your, in your children. So we pray for opportunities today, tomorrow, this week, to be good news in the places that we live and work and socialize. We pray that we'll be open to your whispers, God that you'd prompt us as we, as we just focus our attention on you. You'd, fo you'd uh, prompt us to, 
to do the, the works of the Father, that we'd see what you're doing and that we'd do it. In Jesus' name, amen.